You've spoken the unspeakable. In all our years of slavery to mankind, the word no was the one word we were electrically conditioned to fear. Caesar has forbidden you its utterance in perpetuity. An ape may say no to a human, but a human may never again say no to an ape. Tell him you're sorry, Abe, and go home while you've still got a home to go to. We'll put in a good word for you with Caesar. General Aldo, I'm... I'm sorry. Oh. The writing you destroyed was by Caesar's son. I did not want you to suffer Caesar's anger. What do I care for Caesar's anger? Let me give you a taste of mine. Expect me to talk? Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one hundred and ninety-nine of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts. Dave and Chris, how are you both? Good evening, folks. Good evening. We're also joined once again by our special guest for the series, Charlie Brigden. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Good, thank you. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. Uh, Charlie has. <laughs> Charlie's the only one with any fucking manners. He did it once. He's <laughs> At least one once. of this bunch, you know. We, we don't bother. We just go assume she's all right. <laughs> I mean it, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just pleasantries when we're nice to you. I like to know how everybody's doing, you know, how are our listeners, how are my co-hosts. Yeah. A lot of you don't give a fly monkeys. Oh, that's not true. I'm, just... I'm sure our listeners do. Yeah. I, sh- I know they do, it's fine. Only kidding. to us and expect us to talk at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, right. We were just talking offline about how... Um, inconsiderate Sean Connery was to pass away um, because we were coming up not to pass away generally he's 90 and a rest but we were coming up to our 200th episode which was going to be Rise of the Planet of the Apes uh, but of course he's pushed that back one episode because we had to do a, an episode for him and so next week's episode will be our grand 200th and uh, we'll let you know at the end what that is it's not <laughs> quite the classic we were hoping surprise it's not um but we're coming to the end of the original sort of set of five. Uh, so tell us about tonight's film, Becca. So yes, tonight we review Battle for the Planet of the Apes, starring Roddy McDowell, John Houston, Austin Stoker, Claude Aikens, Natalie Trendy, Seven Darden, Paul Williams and John Landis. Original music by Leonard Rosenman, the story by Paul Dean, the screenplay by John and Joyce Corrington, Mr and Mrs Corrington, uh, directed by J. Lee Thompson and released in 1973. Yeah, um, so we've got the same director we had last week. The first time we've got a returning director. Uh, music by Leonard Rosenman. I don't know if it was just because I was looking out for it, but I actually quite like the score to this film. Um, Ch- Charlie might have some thoughts on that in a bit. Cinematographer, um, I think this is his first entry. It is. Uh, looking through it, uh, looking through, he did the 1976 King Kong. Um, uh-huh. which, and we're going to cover King Kong at some and point. He, and he shot uh, Star Trek, the motion picture as well. Yeah, um, and obviously um, 
and and of course death wish 2 and my stepmother is an alien now all right we'll, we'll... those are classic movies um i would suspect star trek the motion picture is probably the best looking piece of work he's done there to be fair although uh, going back a bit uh, a couple of years earlier he also did the andromeda strain for robert wise as well um so yeah he had a bit of a sort of um oh and he, he has worked with brian de palma and others as well and howard, he did probably... howard the duck he did howard the duck yeah Oh my god, really? And Camelot. Yeah. Well, I never knew that. He's got quite a eclectic resume there. Hang on high. The other one that sticks out, because it is a good-looking film, is Body Heat. The William Hurt. That's a really, Uh that's dripping in atmosphere. That's not all it's dripping in, if you watch it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, so... um, I'm just looking up the script. I haven't really had much of a look at this, but he wrote the the writers of this didn't do an awful lot. Paul Dean might have done the story. They did do the Omega Man, um, but they did the television film, The Killer Bees. <laughs> I've never seen it. That sounds classy, doesn't it? Also, uh, the, the, Bob's the, Bob's the, is, um, Scorsese film. It is an early Scorsese. It's crazy film. I have to admit, I've not seen it. It's mental. It's a Roger uh, Corman film. I, I would so say it's... I've seen. Well, well, that'll be why. Although I, I thought Scorsese will have been past Corman at that point because he'd already done Who's That Knocking at My Door and stuff like that. But yeah, anyway, so um, we don't have a bad crew here. I suppose the, the, the standout weakness is that Paul Dean didn't actually write the script. I think he did an uncredited rewrite. Did he? So he did some, yeah, because because they were because um, the uh, the Carntons were unhappy with some of the stuff that made it into the final film because it wasn't theirs. Because um, yeah, because I think I'm pretty sure the DGA actually, uh, sorry, the WGA um, actually did an arbitration on it and said that and gave them the uh, the sole credit. All right. I'm looking now and it says Dean claims to have rewritten 90% of the dialogue and altered the ending. So that that's as good as a complete rewrite, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, they wrote, yeah, the rule, the Writers Guild of America ruled in favour of the Corringtons. And I would think that's because they've written the structure of the script. Yeah. Um, some of these arbitrations on writing don't make a lot of sense to me. We've seen, yeah. I, I can't think yeah. of too many examples now but there are dozens and we'll have covered some over mm-hmm. the years where yeah. you, you think well that's been completely rewritten and just some of the basic concept came from the original person mm-hmm. um I, I mean the one that does spring to mind is superman the movie because i think the, the the end result of that film is is pretty much tom mankiewicz yeah they had to they, they ended up giving him the creative consultant yeah credit solely because of that because he was responsible yeah, and, but... and, it, and it got credited to uh, David and Leslie Newman, didn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, it's one of those. The other thing I think that stuck out this time is I, I don't think I ever knew that was John Houston. Yeah. yeah. Um, the wraparound story, because it's sort of, it starts in the future. Well, I mean, the whole thing's in the future from the perspective of when the film was made. Yeah. But it, it's the near future and probably analogous to our present day. Yeah. Um, the actual main setting of the film, but it's wrapped around by like these, these 27th century scenes with the lawgiver, who's basically a an orangutan. In fact, to start with, if, if it wasn't for the year, I'd have thought it was the orangutan for the first couple of films. Yeah. Um, and it's John Houston. And, and as soon as I knew, I was like, oh, yeah, the voice. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
Um, he... The statue from the from the first film. Right. And there's right. the one that who's who all their all their kind of religious teachings are based on. Right. Okay. That all makes a bit more sense to me now. Um, last thing for me before we go into final thoughts and uh, uh, final thoughts, first thoughts even. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's short, but it's not that short. I, I, we were saying off air this will be quite short, and I'm calling it after 12 minutes. You know. Um, <laughs> Um, I forget what I was going to say now, so it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, yes. I watched it a couple of weeks ago because we were delayed by our own schedule, but also what happened with Connery and stuff like that. Um, I really kind of enjoyed it the first time and not the second. Um, but, I mean, I'll go into first thoughts in a minute, but it, it, it's rather a thin film. It's it's a cheap film. It's, the budget's now down at $1.7 million. Uh, it took... A shade under nine, which means again, solid enough hit. Um, that's all I really want to say. I've seen it twice in prep for this, so um, the re- Charlie, you'll have seen it a few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the other two, you've seen it once each, probably. Yeah, I've watched it once um, for this viewing. Um, I, I, I think Becca, you're the same, aren't you? Yeah, I, I kind of, I, yeah, I watched it once, and I thought, oh, because we, obviously we had a bit of a gap in between. Um, and I, tried, I got about halfway through, and it, it sadly got away from me a little bit. Um, but I say, like, you know, we we're talking about off, off air about you know having a difficult second viewing of this, and I kind of had a similar sort of thing. I just couldn't get back into the swing of it. Um, mm. Oh well, I watched it. It doesn't as a last sort of film. It doesn't stick in the memory as much as the others do. But then, you know, it's been a busy time for me of late, um, so I probably won't have that much to say beyond the very basic. So. I think that could be true of all of us. So apologies in advance if we break the record of Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <laughs> that was a film. That was a film. That yeah, but the record the, the show we put I think out. I could probably say more than that about this minutes. though. But yeah, Tokyo Drift was a film. Tokyo Drift. Well, I was stu- when I played it back. It was all right. That, that that wasn't a bad show. But the running time's just not there. Um, and I, I think it's I think partly as well that in the case of this and Tokyo Drift that they're not. They're not celebrated one way or another. They don't stand out in the series as groundbreaking, different. It's not they've dropped the ball so badly that you got four good films and then this embarrassment, like you know, like a Superman. No, but I suppose this this last film in the original series, obviously, there's you've got the various storylines sort of tying together. The very it's kind of like a loop, isn't it? I guess. Um, kind of. Ish. There are various sort of timelines shooting off here and there. I think as a film that's kind of meant to try and connect the dots, I don't know, but kind of doesn't, um, all the various streams and everything. Um, Bits of it don't actually make an awful lot of sense to me. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, it took words right out of my mouth. I mean, opening thoughts for, for me, I, I watched it two weeks ago and I was I was um, braced for a train wreck because I remember when I watched the five, let's say eight or nine years ago, I'm guessing to a degree. Um I, I like the first one. I really didn't like the second one. And then I really liked three and four. And I stuck on battle, like, fairly optimistic. And then I just really struggled through it. And then I watched it again a couple couple of weeks ago. And it wasn't remotely the film I remembered. It's, it's almost like my memory has written a completely different film. And I watched it and just thought, this isn't too bad. There's a lot of padding in it. There's a lot of like battles that just roll on without any particular invention in the shooting. I mean, the action in this is kind of laughable, really. Um, but 
it was okay. It was distinctive from the other films. It was at least trying to tie something up. Whereas, like Charlie said, the, the series could have finished after the second film, where they've just gone, that's it, done. At least here, you almost get the feeling that they knew this was it. Um, I don't know if, if Charlie knows on that. We'll get to that in a minute. But it, you get the... It felt like this was it. Um, so that was fine. And then we went another couple of weeks, and then I, I stuck it on today without great enthusiasm. So... As much as it might be the film's fault, you have to acknowledge the attitude you came to it with. And I wasn't in the mood for it today, but I thought it's been a couple of weeks, so I best remind myself. I stuck it on today. I struggled through about 40 to 43, 44 minutes of it, something like that. And then I started watching it on fast forward. I started just like whizzing through it and stopping any time I could remember that that's a scene with some dialogue I need to pay attention to. When we got to action sequence, I whizzed through it, except for critical moments, like what happens to his child Cornelius, what happens to Aldo at the end. You know, I stopped for that bit and, and watched that properly. But it was a real drag today. And I, I don't worry about these shows because we're going to produce nine episodes and the, the majority will be hopefully enjoyable for people to listen to. But the, this is the dictionary definition of a sort of marking time episode to some degree, because it, it really is like, I suppose we've got to do this one. You know, it's not so bad. It's funny. It's not, it's not, there are logical things in it that I don't quite follow or don't think are consistent or don't make sense, but it's not so badly written. I can say, well, that's just fucking ridiculous. It isn't. It's still led by Roddy McDowell, who, who just continues to have the most expressive eyes. I just think it, it, he's still really good in it, uh, but it's not that good either. And it follows two entries I really enjoyed. And of course, it's now starting to look a bit cheap. Um, and so it's one of those entries that's just like, it, it's just there. I, I had a viewing more akin to my first viewing today. It wasn't good and I wanted it done. But having said that a couple of weeks ago, I, I watched it and thought, yeah, this is all right. And that's it for me as a start, really. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up from that. Um, I, I, it, it was one of those viewings where I didn't have any real issues with it uh, while watching it, but as soon as it was over, I kind of almost instantly forgot forgot about it. Yeah, it not, not much stayed with me, quite frankly. Um, I think I think one of the um, I think one of the things that stood out to me was the you know, the, the, reduced, the reduction in budget. Uh, I, you know, during watching the, the battle sequence, I kept funny enough. I kept thinking of like uh, the Michael Winterbottom film, Cock and Bull Story. There was a part where um, Rob Brydon says, "Like I look like I'm commanding tens of men." Yeah, it's it, 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 it but it <laughs> was like, men. but it it feels like a battle, like you know, like a, a battle for the planet, and it's like a battle for like a, a bit of land, like you know, a battle for this little small <laughs> little <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like you know, like what w- one small community is trying to evade another small community. On, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, 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 there's no sense of scale, which I, I get. It's hard to do, um, yeah. but um, and there are things about the design I actually quite like. Yeah, like um, I, I mean, it isn't without some merit, and is you can tell that some thought went into it. You know, for example, like they do try and tie it up with like beneath. You know the. Um, the, the the human mutants, uh, should we say? You can kind of see like where they would go 
go like well they'll develop it as the as the mutants are in beneath the planet of the apes. You know what I mean? You kind of see that where their beginnings became from. You know, um, and 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 stuff like that. And 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 their ideas of like how like you know the 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 community is with the apes and the and humans within that community and the hostility between the the gorillas. Um, uh, but it, all it, all it did all it did was just remind me of like the the newer versions you know with uh, with dawn and I was like yeah those are really good those films <laughs> well it, it, yeah you're you're right with certainly with war because I think when we get to war there is a more sort of developed and seasoned sort of ape community yeah but I actually thought first of the Tim Burton films because. The Tim Burton film, I, I haven't seen it for a while again now, so I might be misremembering this, but the design of the film just seemed like logically if apes or chimps, apes, what you know, those species of apes that are covered in these films, if they developed a little bit further but still kind of... If they lived an, a more intelligent version of the way they live now, mm. the community they'd end up building would probably look like that film. Uh, you know, like... That's how it is in my head anyway. So the design of this film has some of that, like them living in trees and things like that, or at least off the ground. Um, The thing that you just made me think of, though, because Charlie just mentioned Roger Corman. Uh, Jack Nicholson was in some Roger Corman films. And I I remember he did one film. I can't remember the film, and I can't remember exactly what he was looking at. But he was asked to do a reaction shot to something where he was like, look at the size of that thing, or oh my god. And because Roger Corman films have no budget, what what they eventually had him respond to looked incredibly underwhelming. You know, and, and in the next film, they're saying to him, right, we need a reaction shot of you going, look at that thing. Right. And he said, I'll do that. And the, I'll be reacting to like one duck on a pond or something. <laughs> and, I, and there's a little bit of that in this film, a little bit. Although I, they, they must walk all over a Roger mm. Corman budget, to be fair. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was it was fine. I think it just struggled with its budget i think you know as, as dave said before there was a there, there was a little bit of like that'll do um mm. vibe about it in a kind of like let's just like bash it out and be done with it um you know it's made probably with the budget as well they can only do so much so there's probably have that bit of attitude uh is it they're sort of planning for the tv what's... series as well weren't they by this kind of stage like by the yeah kind of by the time it got into production and everything they were already sort of looking at in terms of TV, um, even before they you know started production. So maybe that's why there's probably not, not half us, but they're kind of like yeah, it's fine if you can see it and hear it, it's okay. Probably. Uh, the, the only other thing uh, I will say is uh, the the leader of the 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 human mutant group thing. With, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're actually called or if they have a name or they just like mutants. I don't know. Um, Seven Durham, he was in the the last film, uh, yeah. so he, he he was a good bad guy, um, you know, well as a, a human villain, should we say? He um, uh, he had a good line of dialogue that actually is probably one of the most memorable parts of the film, where he, he's kind of dis- discussing going like going to battle, and he's like, yes, it has been rather boring around here, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, it's 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 <laughs> yeah, quite. That's great. Yeah, I thought the same. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. that's probably. Me. It's like yeah, yeah. What what's so we just gonna go? What we're just gonna go like and find? Yeah, well, yeah. It's always been rather boring around here recently, hasn't it? Um. So 
yeah, but apart from that, yeah, that's uh, it's it it it's fine, but you know, didn't stick with me. You know what? I think that, you know. I think pretty much you guys kind of sum it up. It's I kind of it tries it, for me. I kind of I did struggle with it a little bit just because it it did it tries to tie everything all together, but it doesn't really kind of do that. Um, and I was kind of doing some reading into it, and obviously I think before you know before the script and everything was agreed, they were sort of already planning for the TV. So it, not that. Not that it was half-assed, because it's not really. Um, but just the fact that they'd already given over to this idea, so it kind of, it wasn't, I don't know. It sounds like I'm saying it was an afterthought, but it, that's not what I mean. Um, but i say, yeah, I would kind of say it's, it was okay. I did sort of struggle the first watch, because um, I'd not seen this series before. Um, and then tried to watch it again for, for when we finally got round to reviewing this, um, and I'd I did. I did struggle, unfortunately. But yeah, I would agree that the line was a bit boring around here. I would. I would agree that sums it up perfectly. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some good character moments, um, and it's good that you've got some, you know, original cast members. So fun fact coming up about the, about them later on. Um, the kind of the inter, the idea of sort of like I don't sort of the mutants, I guess. Um, there's you know it's quite interesting. Um, I think over overall you've kind of got some really you know really interesting, really big big themes really got you know um that i'm sure will be picked apart you know for centuries to come by film student film students the world over um and especially like with everything going on in the world in sort of like late 60s early 70s like sort of nuclear war vietnam that sort of thing um these films do really sort of tap into those kind of those sort of fears and, and concerns um again amazing makeup costumes here as well um but yeah i just it's yeah it's okay that's what I can say, really. Again, it's just the basics for me, sadly. It just, it just yeah, struggled to kind of stick in the, in the mind. And for a film that kind of, that, that's meant to be like the full stop, I guess, that kind of like brings everything together, I just kind of felt a bit, that was a bit underwhelming in that in that review, um, in that respect. So, yeah, apologies to anyone who really loves this movie. Um, but I just was a bit underwhelmed by it, or sadly. I, I can't imagine as many, Becca, I think you No. <laughs> I don't know, I just kind of feel like this has kind of been like, one of those, well, especially with the first Planet of the Apes movies, like for me, um, I kind of got the impression that it's a real like piece of landmark cinema, like it's a really important film. Um, sort of various technological reasons, makeup, costumes, things like that. Um, and, you know, when they sort of do lists of you know greatest films, this um, Apes movies tend to kind of crop up on them. Um, and I kind of thought it's not really in the same tier, unfortunately, um, which is a shame. But but again, you know, it's, it's a worthy worthy entry into the series. But for me, as I say, yeah, it kind of it just struggled with its budget and it kind of struggled to stay in my brain, unfortunately. Well, I I, I think as well that um, especially considering Beneath was the second entry, I don't know how many people thought that the, the Planet of the Apes as a as a franchise was that consistent, really. Um, especially since I think Escape certainly has only recently, in recent times, kind of had a bit more of a, uh, a favourable reaction. Escape does have the favourable reaction of the sequels, look, looking at it. I mean, I, I enjoyed Conquest just as much, but yeah. It seems to be one of the more, the more um, best-loved, you know, yeah. the best one. It seems so to be, I think, yeah, I mean, the one people look upon more favourably. Yeah, so I think, I think it's not... I mean, considering as well that this was a in in the in the culture especially of the 70s this was when the independent 
Hollywood was kind of really coming up. So as you had stuff like Taxi Driver and Scorsese and De Palma and people like that, American Graffiti was the same year as this. Of course, and things, yes. And things like that. That's movie. You had a, and you had this, the big studio films, um, especially this was kind of dying out a bit. Um, I mean, this, the films, they lowered in budget and in takings over, I mean, es- Escape then had a higher budget than Conquest, which I had a higher budget than Battle. And as as they went, they took less and less. So I think they had kind of looked at this and thought, okay, this is going to be the last time. This is probably going to be the last one. Um, uh, so we're not going to spend a huge amount of money on it. Um, so the, the kind of... I, thinking about it, it's what the battle is obviously the battle is is a kind of a loaded kind of title anyway and it's almost like it's maybe kind of like a subsection of maybe what's ha- what's happening over the world because that's never really explored because it's always very american cent america centric so there's no, there's never any real kind of thought about what's going on in other countries and on other, other continents. But in any, in any case, I think one film. I mean, yeah, this it's a bit boring. It's again very the, the budget really hurts it a lot. Um, but I think one thing I do like about it is that it's quite intimate still, and I think that's something that, the, that these films over the the five instances. Um, they've they've had these kind of sections where it's been intimate and it's been kind of character driven, and um, and they're still kind of had the moral things behind it that I think is um, in its favour certainly. Um, sorry, go on. I can. Hear no, you. I was just about to say I I don't I I don't hate it. I I, I only wanted to pick up. One, oh no, of course. Well, I, I only wanted to pick up on one thing you said that. It made me think, well, what's the difference between that and the three rebooted films? Because the three rebooted films are largely in one area. So I think the difference is that some of it is actually the post, the, the credits at the end of the first film. The rise, rise, I mean, the first of the yeah. films. That you see the virus traveling all over the world. You actually, you get a graphic of, you know, because the neighbor to like Caesar um is an airline pilot or something so you see him set off on a plane and basically this thing that is going to um kill humans and make you know and make you know ape smarter and everything is now going around the world so when you only see um caesar and his lot it's almost like well the world's infrastructure has fallen apart they they can't contact the rest of the world yeah so we're just focusing on that bit but we know from that post title thing that it is going on everywhere and there will be microcosms of it elsewhere there will be there will be ape uprisings in brazil in europe in south america it was brazil in south america but the southern hemisphere and all that sort of thing i think with this it does play more like budget it's almost like we haven't even considered there's a rest of the world yeah that that I think that's the difference. This feels smaller scale because Rise and the newer films acknowledges there is a rest of the world being affected by the same thing. Yeah. Um, 
I think as, as well, it kind of it it feels it's it's strange for a last film, but it feels like the battle's not the main focus. The main focus is survival, and the fact that they've built this kind of commune, commune and they're working together with the humans. Um, is and they're, and they're kind of trying to teach the gorillas and 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 teaching the apes as well as the humans. Um, I think that's kind of a neat idea if it's not kind of done as well as it maybe could be. Um, and yeah, the, the kind of when the battle stuff comes, it always made me made me laugh that it's kind of this big kind of battle thing, and then you've got this old school bus <laughs> and the. Uh, but I like things like that because you grab what you've got. Yeah, and then and then again thematically, because they pushed the no thing, and they and they work that out and they put that in with that opening scene with um, Aldo and the uh, the school, um, and uh, and then you have it with Lisa later on um, when they're about to kill Caesar, and then that kind of their whole plan kind of kicks off, which I think is quite clever. Um, and again, it's just kind of driving that home. Um, although I've always loved this film, partly just just because of him, because he's hilarious, and he's. It's like if this was a if this was a nineteen seventies sitcom, he'd be like the next the grumpy next door neighbour, the landlord. <laughs> yeah, although it's probably analogous to Cobra in the new series. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's just... uh, but Cobra is a much darker character. He's oh, absolutely. Not quite. Not actually. Cobra's probably not. He's, he's more intimidating because of the way he looks, uh, and I don't mean the makeup. I mean, or the CG. I mean, even if you were, just even if you, well, if you just adjusted this in your mind to a photorealistic apes, which yeah. obviously they're not, the design that you've got for Aldo is not as intimidating as the design for Cobra, but he's no. much more hot-blooded than Cobra. Cobra's yeah. much more cunning. And you can tell with the makeup as well, because he, it's luckily, Claude Aikens has got really expressive eyes like McDowell. Yeah. So he kind of, it kind of works, but he, he can barely move his, his mask. Yeah, yeah um, I, did, I did kind of feel that, yeah, his sort of facial expressions really did sort of shine through. Yeah, the the other thing I really like is is the uh, the opening of the Lawgiver. I kind of love it when when they do things like this. Oh and yeah. At least to kind of get, give it that mythic kind of sense. You got somebody um, like um, John Houston as well, so yeah. you need to need to use him properly, don't you? That, really? Yeah, that voice. And what what we're actually watching here is not not a wraparound. Well, it is a wraparound in terms of the film, but the film itself is not a wraparound to the series because we're not. We're not showing how we got to the status quo in the first film. We're no. actually watching a fight for a better version of that future. Because in the future, in the in the future that Charlton Heston went to, humans were subjugated and abused, and that was only and that effectively ended up ending in tears. A bit worse than tears, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The end of the world. Here, this is a fight between. Um, Aldo, who is the sort of cobra of this story, and Caesar, who actually thinks there is like a better way, a third way. It still yeah. has it, it's still not perfect because it still has the apes very much in charge. But there is at least and they are telling humans how to live. For example, we find out humans are now vegetarian because the apes have made them be. Um yeah. Yay, I, up the veggies. 
I only sp- up up the veggies, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, banana would be easier, but okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> banana. No. Well, or a, cu- a cucumber, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it is a fight for a, a, a better future yeah. than the one we saw in the first film. But arguably, within that, Caesar still has to go on a journey of his own that his idea of benevolence at the start of the film is not where he get, where he is at the end. Yeah. So and thematically, it is a stronger film than perhaps we're giving it credit for. Yeah, and the final shot also is the typical Planet of the Apes, potentially downer ending anyway. With the I, don't, question, I don't understand the last shot. If you're the, talking about the statue, crying statue, I don't get it. Yeah, the, 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 the idea for me that it's 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 crying that way because it's not going to change okay all right let's come anyway, back to that when we get to yeah, the end yeah, of the film exactly, yeah, i yeah. do want to explore that because i sat there and without giving it a lot of thought if i'm honest i looked at it and thought i think they think that looks arty um that, it's like that a crying statue isn't it it's all well, they something. might they might have had a yeah, there's, there's almost you see that you know biblical miracles and things oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah. see that sort of thing. That you've given me pause that they might have had something a bit more in their head. But on when I watched it, I was like, well, "What does that fucking mean?" <laughs> yeah, but that's it. Shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yes. So we start with Hollywood legend and father of Danny Houston, which I think I only found out about a year ago. Uh, John Houston, which I didn't know. This is now 2670, which I don't know if there's a relevance to this time scale, except that that is roughly, roughly, I think it's a couple of years out, but it's roughly when you watch the first film and Charlton Heston is narrating before he goes into deep sleep, hmm. they're already like 700 years in the future and it's 2670 something. If it's 1973 that they left Earth, it's like 2674 or something like that. So this is roughly starting around the time Heston is 700 years in the future, but about to go to sleep. And I don't know if there's any relevance to that, or they just picked that as a date they like the sound of. Yeah. Or Or whether they're just distancing it from the time frame of the first film. Because this is not the time frame of the first film. It's about a thousand, year, a thousand or twelve hundred years before, but it's seven hundred years after these films. Um, and basically, this is this is like every eighties TV show where you get like a flashback. Yeah, to, previously on. Well, the actual wording it like that, where it was like previously. I mean, yeah. White Peach Blue was the first time I saw it. But definitely it started with things like the A-Team, if I recall. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it was before that. But we just get basically the story of the previous films. But don't we start with Escape? Yeah, Do with we... the death of, yeah. of Zero. Because it's telling Caesar's story. Of course it is. I was yeah, it's not say, like Caesar's timeline. We don't get anything from the first two. So it's telling us the story of the last two films in about five or six minutes. Um, which again, when you're watching a short film that you know that it's the fifth film in a series, it's got a low budget, it's got a short running time. My first thought was, this is a load of padding. 
But, you know, this is like Rocky syndrome. We're just going to have montages all the way through this. <laughs> Rocky four, you know, which I know with seven minutes new material. Um, but actually, I think it's kind of useful. Um, we don't have home video at this point. Or if we did, it was only in the richest of houses. Yeah, I don't think we did, no. I don't think we really did till the mid-70s. Uh, anywhere, I mean. Mm, mm. So, uh, I'm sure people, you know, the rich film directors had, you know, home cinemas and shit like that. But people won't have seen... People could do with a reminder when they go to the cinema at this point. Yeah, loads, I mean, loads of films do this. But they usually do it in kind of maybe more arty ways. Like some, some of them do it in the... Uh... In the credits, like if you've got Spider Man 2. Yes, well, yes, perfect. Because the that's way all, that's done is that's wonderful. all beautiful artwork recreations of shots from the first film. Exactly, yeah. And it's the first thing that tells you Spider Man 3 is a bit lazy because it's just photos of, with the same style. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We talked about that when we did the Spider Man series. It feels a bit of a data dump, but actually, I don't think I can begrudge them it when I think about the, the home time. market, the cinema market, the time. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that. If you just suddenly, if you if you want any chance of someone being able to go in and watch this standing alone, if you suddenly had Caesar in the early 21st century, it wouldn't make a lot of sense, would it? No. We're not given a year, are we? No. But they've built some kind of society. So I would, you know, if you were to guess, probably in the last 10 years or so. Yeah, yeah. And... I think the first thing I want to compliment before I get everyone else's thoughts is it, it might be cheap, but I quite like the design. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does look cheap. It's not shot with any great flair, but this is the beginnings. This isn't, we haven't cut to them living in our world, i.e., they've taken over from humans, but they're walking around Times Square or whatever. We, yeah. we haven't gone with that because that would be cheapest. And we haven't gone with, let's just use those sets from Planet of the Apes, because they're a thousand years away from having that. So they build like a precursor of it. Yeah. With a little bit of what would it be like if humans were involved. So we still have like almost medievally looking like horse and cart type stuff mm. going on as well. So it's got a bit of an agrarian feel. It's got a bit of an it's, ape. It's feel. like starting from scratch though, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah. what, what 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 would you do if you had to kind of if you if you if you're left with nothing, so you have to like all right, well I have to you know start building stuff, like you know. Um, but uh, it, and we and we don't all know how to build stuff, you know. They're doing yeah. their best with what they've got, hence hence their their lessons are outdoors and things like that. Yeah, and it's consistent. It feels consistent with the rest of the films. Do you mean the design feels consistent? Yeah, yeah, yeah This yeah, is yeah, like yeah. a precursor of where we're going. Yeah. They don't live off, off the ground in the early films, though, do they? Or do they? Have I misremembered that? Well, no, because in the, in the early films, it's, it's a lot more... They've got a lot of levels, haven't they? And it's a lot more sophisticated because the whole ape city is, is kind of... That said, it, the, the first film looked a bit almost Roman-influenced because they exactly, had all this like, amphitheatre. And yeah. there's a little bit of that even in just doing lessons outdoors. They, they, they're going to yeah. create a society where people sit around in a semicircle and all talk outside. Mm. Yeah, and that council set as well is is very much um, is is very much reminiscent yeah. of the amphitheatre with the council in the first film. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah, maybe no, the Jayhawk back. So we've got. It's difficult to peg what this society is like. Caesar is. This is again echoed in the newer films. Uh, Caesar's married to Lisa. They have a son called Cornelius, obviously named after Caesar's own father. That's not unusual. Putting family names in and stuff like that. And he's the leader of a sort of new society, and the, they work together with humans. Humans have quite a degree of autonomy in that they're there teaching and stuff like that. And they can exercise a little bit of discipline. So they're not exactly slaves, but they are living to the style that the apes have set. I, yeah. it, there is a comment from... Um, McDonald. McDonald, yeah, he's he's. It, it's not a well. It is. A, it's the brother of the guy in the last yeah. film, but it's because there was a casting thing, so they recast it and made it his brother. And he says something about we used to eat animals, or they used to eat everything. And he's saying, yeah, now we eat seeds and nuts or whatever it was. So they are vegetarian. Well, humans on their own wouldn't decide to make that a unilateral thing. Yeah, and they the first thing we do is they're trying to like mend things. The apes have to help because they're stronger and stuff like that. But it does seem like humans are servants, but not slaves. Yeah, because he says, doesn't he? He said, see, he says something like Caesar says, you're not slaves. And then Madonna says, but we're not equals either, are we? Right. I'd forgotten that line. That's perfect. Mm. That is exactly what they are. And then we get straight to a lesson where I, th I think he's, he's only credited as teacher looking at him. But he, he's teaching them... Um, Abe. Abe. Is it Abe, is it? Abe, his name, yeah, because okay. he, write, he writes it, doesn't he? Of course he does, yeah, sorry. It's just when I'm looking at Wikipedia here, he's only, he's only credited <laughs> as teacher. But yes, it, it, yeah. it is Abe, of course, that's the whole point. He's teaching them, well, it's kind of civics and English in one, isn't it? They're, they're practising their writing, yeah. but it's the apes shall never kill apes yeah. line. Um. And he insults Aldo's... Well, he doesn't insult. He criticises, as a teacher would, Aldo's writing. Mm. And he writes... What does he write? Ape, ape shall never kill Abe. That's, uh, like... that's, well, that's what Cornelius does. Because he says, Cornelius, you've written B instead of P. Yeah. He says he's done it, he did it intentionally. That's right. And then when he rips it up, it's like, Aldo, no. Yeah, and yeah, he says no. Which is a repeating trope of this whole series from yeah. start I was gonna say, to finish. I think when, in the later films when we do finally reach the no moment I think it makes it more impactful I think even though it is quite an impactful moment anyway I th yeah I, th I think it's I think it's it's nice the way it's been it's been turned around that no has, has, has always been kind of this mythical kind of thing that words that was said the when the apes, when the the first ape up ape uprising, it, 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 what's emblematic of it is the first time they speak, and it's no. Yeah, yeah. And in this in this in this changed timeline, because Cornelius and Zero went back in time, as they were subjugated in as they were in the original timeline, but not exactly the same time in the same way by the same people. Yeah. The uprising is then focused around the fact that they were told no for years. So it's now the one thing they don't want to hear rather than the one thing they're going to say. Yeah. Um, so 
that's quite tough though if you've got to be a teacher with discipline you cannot say the word no <laughs> no this is it yeah you, you can't say like don't do that but like no band <laughs> i think it's just that it is literally that word so again this turns into a little bit of a chase aldo is going to mm. kick the shit out of this guy if that's it. <laughs> and eventually like caesar's involved they're told that he he knew he should have said that but he was goaded into saying it he knows he mm. shouldn't and he was goaded um and that's just really set up everything we need to know. Caesar's in charge. He doesn't have complete power in and of itself. The humans are wary of the apes. Caesar's closest confidant is a human. So he's obviously a bit more respectful. And um, we, Aldo is quite clearly going to be the antagonist. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well that it goes back again to the original thoughts from the original film where there was the kind of conflict or distrust between gorillas and chimpanzees. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I, I didn't really think about that. That's true. But if if you had to, as a microcosm, say, forget the humans who were the bad guys amongst the ape community, it's it's always... But it's, yeah. Al- yeah, but it's always the... It, it's always the um, gorillas that are yeah. unthinking, more aggressive. Yeah go running in without thinking that sort of thing that's yeah. that's very them so it's not a surprise that they've cast this they wouldn't have cast they wouldn't have put like an orangutan in this position no where do we go from there so then he's um he, so he introduces as well virgil the orangutan yeah, I like Virgil. He, he's, yeah. again, he's, he's um, a really nice sort of character. Yeah, Paul Williams' first role. Oh, right. Really? Yeah. It's funny because I was watching The, the Muppet Christmas Carol the other day because um, it's one of my, my wife's favourite films, so she watches it a lot. And, oh, that's um, good, yeah, it's a great film. And uh, he wrote the songs for that. <laughs> well, I never knew that. Yeah, because he wrote the, uh, the Rainbow Connection. Uh, yeah, I've just uh, he, he wrote the um, he wrote. Oh, I the, didn't put those two together. Sorry. Evergreen from A Star Is Born, the Barbara Streisand version. Oh, yeah, um, he wrote songs for Brian Park Department's The Phantom of Paradise, which I think, the, which I think came a year after this. Yeah. And then he was in Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, he's in, he's been in tons of stuff. I'm just looking now. Worked closely. I, I misread that. You know, sometimes when you read a line, but you accidentally mm. read a word from the line underneath, mm-hmm. it's just put, after appearing on The Muppet Show in 1976, Williams worked closely with Jim Henson's Henson production on The Muppet Movie. Uh, I passed a bit oh. from the previous line, I, I from the next line. I, I read, after appearing on The Muppet Show in 1976, Williams worked closely with Fozzie Bear. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> waka, waka. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they, they set up a hardware store together <laughs> yeah that sounds uh, amazing oh my gosh he provided the voice of the penguin in batman the animated series yeah 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 what an amazing career yeah yeah and he wrote um he wrote the lyrics for revenge just begun well during this lockdown charlie i'm gonna have to re-watch muppet christmas carol <laughs> Well, that's going to be a Christmas film of ours one year, but not it's this year. Great. This year we are covering Jingle All the Way. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Oh, yes, oh, 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 is it okay. my choice? Is that, is that yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. great. You already chose. I completely forgot whose uh, who choice it was, so I was like, oh, I wonder what we're watching. 
<laughs> what did we have last year? Oh, uh, Trading Places. So it was me. Trading Places. Year. Yeah. So it's Becca the year after. So I think I can guess what that will be. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. he, he put some good word in. Again, because the young... He rank, he, here he's, he's a bit more of a mediator. I was, not a spiritual advisor, but there's a bit con, something consulary about this. Yeah, he's not Dr. Zare, so. No, <coughs> That's so why it, I said not really spiritual advisor. Yeah. They look similar. They're not meant to evoke the same thing. No. So he puts a good word in with Caesar for the, against the teacher. For the teacher. I think the, I think the, the first thing that makes me feel like this film is padding is that that all this is quite good i like this i mean you can see it's cheap and i've got issues with it but like this is quite good we've already said there's there's some theme thematically interesting things and looking at the relationship between humans and and the apes and and the way it's all designed and all of that's quite interesting but now it feels like they pull a plot out their ass because caesar goes i wonder if my parents would have known better how to deal <laughs> yeah. with this Let's go to this really dangerous place that's probably radioactive and see if there's like some footage. That's yeah. a stretch. I mean, I think they try. I mean, uh, I, th- I think they try and like introduce some sort of like um kind of missing guidance from my parents. I can I kind of need a bit of closure or some sort of like I I just need to hear from them. Um, because he, he's never he's never like known them has he at this point so I don't know no, whether... no he was a baby so I, I don't know whether like the film well I, I felt it doesn't really but whether it, it kind of justifies it, it could have gone that angle it could have gone like you know what I'm kind of I'm needing that parental guidance you know I'm almost thinking of on, what prompted him on this could have been done better than yeah, it's him 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 meeting a point where he has doubts about his abilities yeah because he is a leader whether he wants to be or not and could it, could for him ask... to say we'll go we hear there's some archive footage well what of even if it was just the senate hearing what are you going to learn from that yeah so i think this is a bit forced yeah it's clumsy as anything certainly he could have had like you know, him asked like my dad, like, did you like? Oh, you, you knew your parents. I never knew my parents. What, what? That you know, that almost like a little bit of like reminiscing a little bit, and just kind of thinking, I wish I had that. Wish I had something. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's not, it's not. It's not a difficult thing to. No. To kind of do really. Even if he, even if he literally, in, in fact, it would be easier not to come up with big excuses for him to go and look at the archive footage. It, it, rather than it being we've got to learn something, c- couldn't it just be I never knew them? It would be lovely to just see some see see them, mm-hmm. see yeah. them in see some footage of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there you go. Um, yeah. And the film has been outstanding for about twelve minutes. I think we start struggling now because they go off to the um, well, they go basically to forbidden zone, really. It's the it's the ruins of New York. In fact, they reused a couple of shots and stuff, which is fine. Mm. You know, my favourite Star Trek film reuses stuff from the motion picture, so it's not the end of the world. But no, some of it does look a bit familiar. So, mm. but but overall, you know, I think as you said, you know, they're kind of budgetary issues. So 
Yeah, I know. But if you were shooting a film in New York and you wanted an ex- uh, an establishing shot of the Manhattan, you know, um, skyline, is there any need to shoot it again? Well, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Most photographed fucking place in the world, probably. So. Um, well, that's it. Because if you watch, if you watch Gremlins two, there's the opening shots. There's, there's New York and Gremlins two are outtakes from Superman. Yes, and uh, that's true. That's a fun fact. I kind of I kind of watch Gremlins two again now. Just, just well, should, it. it's amazing. <laughs> Gremlins. Just, right, what we should do is, is whenever we have you know Charlie on a series, we should always do like wider reading. You know, other films that you should watch around whatever the series is that we're covering. To be honest, so with this one we have Muppets and. <laughs> to be honest, Becca, if I thought Charlie's joining us for Battle for the Planet of the Apes tonight, I best watch Gremlins two. That would have, <laughs> that would have been phenomenally. Pressing. That would have been amazing. <laughs> um, the the one that, the one thing you'll always notice on the very first oh you probably know it from the the shots of the cinema but the first Gremlins film is shot on the same Universal backlot as Back to the Future yeah yeah absolutely the the big mm, the, the, you, yeah, you, you recognise it immediately once you know from the opening shot it's basically Hill Valley composited with a map yeah. painting of like snowy yeah, mountains really in the background yeah uh, because obviously Back to the Future Hill Valley's California and I'm assuming wherever gremlins is, is not yeah it's probably, um yeah it's probably the other side of the east coast what used to be the old fox ranch as well yeah uh but yeah so it's exactly the same i mean you, you'll notice it when the um the gremlins are coming out of the cinema and that that's the same one he sort of crashes the delorean in yeah. and stuff like that but um if you don't if you did it's just so iconic anyway i mean it's like with it you know and it's pretty much you know spotted but even something like um Oh god, what was it like? Bruce Almighty, really randomly, obviously, which is a well-known Universal movie. But it's just like you can spot sets, you know, from from other films and that sort of thing. But it's quite yeah, a yeah. back lot anyway. So yeah, well, the thing with Tarantula. Like, oh, yeah, I don't think I've seen it from like 1955. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The old, old, the old Watched Universal. Watched it from behind films. the sofa. Yeah. yeah. Oh and, yeah. Uh, they used to shoot on it more than they do now. Yeah. Mm. Um, but certainly when you watch Gremlins and you know it. If you've just seen Back to the Future, you oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. cinema. Yeah, you can Literally, see. Literally, the opening shot of the film is looking down on the square of Hill Valley, uh, as we would know it. I don't, I don't think... Um, yeah, because Gremlins came out, what, the year before Back to the Future? That's right, yeah. But uh, I don't think that it exists now, the, the, uh, the backlog. You don't think it's there anymore? No, I don't think so. No, there's a, a few fires on there over the years. I suppose there comes a point where it's almost overexposed. You'd have to seriously dress it now. Plus, the backlot does it kind of changes. Like it's universal, there's been quite a few fires, unfortunately, in the last few years. <clears throat> and obviously, it, you know, it, it changes and evolves over time as the park changes and things like that. Some some sets are, are removed, new oh, ones yeah. added. Yeah, expands or some of it re- was rebuilt. Yeah, remodeled. Uh, well, it looks like they've basically recreated a load of it at sort of Universal Studios Orlando. Yeah, I really want to go back. Oh. Uh, I'm it's looking at the Univer- I'm looking at the Universal Studios backlot now, and it's a different one. There's no doubt that's a different one. So they've obviously built something else. Oh, hang on, the Courthouse Square. Let's have a look. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah, because that was badly done. It was like ten years ago. I want to say like not ten years ago. Looks um, like it might still be there for use, you know. But it, it it does look different now. It does look different. There's no doubt. Because it was in the clock tower. There was like a, a massive fire or something. I want to say like 2008. or might not have been around that sort of time. But well, that, it that was struck was like, by lightning. Was... 1955. Well, obviously it was. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there was a, there was a major incident in the back clock, and I think the the kind of the famous Back to the Future clock tower. Um, 
was a bit singed, you know, it was kind of one of the main casualties, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but obviously they, they, they managed to save it and restore it. Um, but it was one of the main, but, you know, worst affected areas. They've got a number of them for different uses. So you've got one that says Alley, you've obviously got Bates Motel, you've got Brownstone Street, the the street that's like mm-hmm. a basically a Brooklyn sort of brand. Yeah, yeah. Colonial Street, Chicken Ranch House, Central Park. There's loads of them. If you look yeah, at Yeah, Chicken Ranch is, is classic. Yeah. Um, um and then you come down and you've got a, a more sort of European street, and then you've got one that sort of can stand in for London or Paris, Mexico, modern New York. There's another New York Street there. Where oh, I want to go back to Universal. Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun. There's a Wall Street one. And there's an underwater tank as well, where, you know, probably where Tom Cruise nearly kills probably himself. Probably near Jaws. Yeah, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, right. like, where, where you've got, like, the Bates Motel set, you've kind of got, like, well, I don't know if it's still there, but, like, you had War of the Worlds on one side, so you'd kind of go past the, the airport on the tour, the kind of the aircraft fuselage, and you'd have bloody Hoover, not Hoover, what's it called? Grinch, basically. Um, yeah. I think it's called Hoover. Um, on the other side, it's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? Oh my god, you know, and it's just <laughs> rotting. It's <laughs> incredible because every time you see these places, they're not that impressive in the flesh, are they? It's always well, been, it, it's, well, it, well, I mean, I haven't been there to be no, fair. It's, a lot, it's a lot of the time, the scale. it's always smaller, isn't it? Just because that's, of the scale, that's all right? I meant. You just go, my god, this looks so much grander on a screen. Because no, I'm about this. It sounds really cheesy, but when like Desperate Housewives was a thing. Um, was, I went on holiday there and kind of did the tour and everything and it's just like it doesn't quite look the same but I mean to get, go up and um, to well, see like like you know the world world's kind of set or like Jaws for example um, we've been obviously based myself because I'm a massive massive fan of, of the film and, and the series even though they filmed it in Canada um, sorry which one? Kind of like, oh, and like psycho movies and things like that and also, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also yeah. going to um, like back to the future um, and you can kind of go you know, around the tour and there's other other TV shows that were made at the time, um, and even though it's it looks a lot smaller in person, um, it's still quite impressive. Um, well, it's sort of the whole thing of imagine of, of seeing a celebrity in the wild, and um, yeah. versus how you see them in films. It's, you've got the lighting and all that stuff, and <laughs> yeah. any other kind of things consideration, and oh, well, that, colour that filters was, and all that kind of thing. And yeah, that was the problem when they did Hobbiton in the higher frame rate for the first Hobbit film. Well, yeah, they did it for all of them, but they, the post-production got a bit better. But the first film, it just looked embarrassingly like sets. Well, they are, but, they are, but... <laughs> lighting and frame rate and everything normally gets you around that. Yeah. That was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? Oh, my gosh. The first one looked terrible. By the second one, I mean, the films weren't great, but by the second one, it started to look a bit better. Yeah, they, the they high tried frame to improve rate. it somewhat. Yeah. So, so, nice padding, guys. Brilliant. Anyway. So... <laughs> yeah, talking about Where the is history of the uh, so they go to this, uh, they go to the Forbidden Zone, and I don't know what to say about this, really. They, we see that there's mutated humans there. Basically humans with some scabs on their faces. Yeah, not... Yeah, how, how, do, we, how, what do, we, how do we think it compares to, like, the previous mutants <clears throat> that we've seen? They're not as mutated. Example. Not as mutated, and... no. They've got, like, a bit of, bit of bruising, a bit of scabs, I don't know. And, and they all seem to be sort of dressed like Ming the Merciless with those, like, sort of black cat things. Yeah. yeah. In fact, their faces remind me of um, Rami Malek's No Time to Die facial makeup. It's no, it's not much worse than that, to be honest with you. It's just a bit. No, it's, of it's quite of, sort of vague, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's kind of some hint there. I think it's kind of. I think it's a, especially in the series as well. It's you know, sort of the makeup and costumes is something that the series is known for, um, and I kind of think it's, it's it's subtle. You know, it's done in, in a subtle way. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's not too bad, and it is sort of consistent with what we saw last time they're just not as far along 
if anything, it's almost happened a bit quickly. You think, Christ, if they're that mutated by this point, they'd be dead, wouldn't they? But um, there you go. So well, this is it. And they're under the command of the governor from, the, well, not the governor from the last film. The governor is the sort of head of security from the last film. Yeah, he was kind of one of the second in commandish kind of. I think they were going to bring back the governor from the last film. Yeah, I would. Pres- I, I think. I'm sure I read that. And that this is what they could get. Well, at least there's some consistency. It's fine. Unless they go with the uh, <laughs> the, the extended or the the alternate version where they killed him. Yeah. So. So yeah. This is the bit you can... Yes, of course, he may not have even been alive to do it. Yeah, I guess. But this is only a year later, and I think they went... By then, the sort of canon version was yeah, survived. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, this is the bit... I don't... This is the bit you can sort of overthink, because they see the recordings, and they find out about Earth's future destruction. But, of course, we are by definition... In a and, and we see video recordings... As a still image, but with audio. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. which, which I don't quite get because the the because you know film was is is a thing obviously, and and um... and, and they own it given <laughs> they made it the previous yes. year or two years before. Yeah, I don't so... know. It's the it's the fact that oh my god we're heading to this fate, and it's like we well, probably are, but we're already in a different timeline. We learned in the last film that the appearance. This timeline, the original timeline, was not triggered by Cornelius and Zira going to the past. Yeah, it was that was happening anyway. Them going to the past has introduced Caesar into it and actually changed the timeline as the start of this film shows us. So this kind of blowing the world up is no longer, and, and we, they, we already learned they don't subjugate humans in quite the same way. So what he's seeing is a future. That isn't set anyway. Yeah, yeah, but they but, they do talk about that, don't they? Yeah, yes, they do. To be fair, but at this point, it's like but yeah, uh, yes. But mm. he, he, I suppose at this point, it's still a, a potential warning of like what yeah, we best. Is, and, and it still is. I mean, it's all set up the same way. And also, their their fear is that they may be attacked by humans. They've seen footage that eventually it ends in a destructive battle anyway. So that's a risk. I, I, actually, it's better than I thought it was because they're not looking at definite; they're looking at risk. And then, uh, well, argu- arguably, they they because they get found out. So arguably, and and Lisa mentions this later that they kind of set off the whole thing because they get found out that they're trespassing. Yeah. And they find out that the apes. This is so. This is where they discover that the apes are actually around. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I suppose yeah, they are completely a separate society at this point. So, um, what have we got now? Colt goes and sort of looks for Ape City, doesn't he? Yeah, but they have a so they have a fight for us. They don't. They have the the gun. They have a gun battle. Oh yeah, fast forwarded all over the fucking boring. stuff. It's, it's boring. None of the yeah. action shot very well in this. I mean, no, the, very, no. the climactic stuff at the end is just terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't think of a how do we? It's a bit like the the only thing I've ever seen in a big budget film that bad is where like Chris Pratt has a fight on top of a fucking greenhouse in that last Jurassic World film. And and you and and you think like after Conquest, you know, the action that was pretty brutal and 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 relatively well done. 
you, you know, you, you think that they probably do a bit better this time, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's if you're doing, if you're just shooting, like it, it's like the bit at the end of the film, which I'll get to, is effectively hand to hand. It's it's yeah. not wildly expensive. That's just about. There's just a could lack it, of inspiration in it. Really, it could have even be second unit stuff. Could be. My, yeah, that could be money actually. In that, like, you don't have a particularly talented second unit to go out and do it. Maybe I guess. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, yeah, a bit of a battle, which I don't care about one way or another. Um, they escape. Um, they escape. And um, um, what's his face? Cop. 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 Yeah, sort of sees it as like, well, and as a an act of war. They they trespassed, and we must retali- retaliate. Um, yeah. Well, this it's more kind of. Let's get. Yeah, it's been rather boring, here, isn't it? Yeah, there's 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 a lot of revenge there as well. And at the know. same time, you've got Aldo sort of plotting to take power. Mm. Yeah. So you get the two. You get a scout, scouts going yeah. and finding Ape City. Yeah. And then Aldo. Off um, with the gorillas separately. Yeah. Planning because because he invites humans to the. Uh, yeah, to the and council Cor- meeting, and then Cornelius overhears this. He's a son, but he's up a tree listening. Mm. Yeah. So Aldo hacks off the tree branch, and, and basically, uh, long story short, Cornelius dies, but he doesn't die immediately. He's sort of taken home injured, and it, yeah. it, it's like yeah. he's fallen out of a tree. It's only later that um, McDonald actually works out that that, that tree's been hacked. Yeah. Mm. Um. And so, yeah, Cornelius has now realises that sort of apes have hurt apes, which is their one thing they don't do. And at the same time, um, Culp attacks in a school bus. Is that yeah, right? yeah. And the that's how thin this film is and why we needed to talk about Gremlins for 10 minutes, because <laughs> we are literally in the final act of the film now. And, and literally, when we came out of Gremlins... We were talking a bit about the bit that's just after, like the opening scene in that timeline. So basically, we said, "Oh, and then they went to the the, the ruins of the Forbidden Zone," and we took about five minutes talking about that. And now we're in the final act of the film. It's quite thin. This, um, I don't care about this. It's, it's it zips by then, isn't it? Even it's an hour and a half. Roughly. It's not bo- well, I say it's not boring. It is boring, but it's not. <laughs> there are some boring parts, but at least it's not one of those films. You know, it's kind of an hour and a half. It's like the standard length for a movie. It's kind of does kind of what it needs to do, but it does drag. But at the same time, it doesn't. Like some of the films in the series, it kind of feels like, come on, it's a hard slog. Yeah, and um, basically, all the apes pretend to be dead. <laughs> yeah. This is it. I've got an image of one from the Marky Mark film then. Because oh. they all seem to recover. Never mind. We'll get to that next week. I'm looking um, forward to next week just because of your Marky Mark I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to next week because I can't remember practically anything. All I can remember, all I can remember from uh, the Tim Burton film is like uh, apes dressed as cops at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with an ending that makes everyone goes... Um, I actually don't understand. Yeah, what, what's happening? I don't understand. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, for, for anyone listening, uh, Becca has just referred to my Marky Mark obsession. <laughs> I think she means my obsession with calling him Marky Mark. Yeah, not, so that, really not, that just, not that I just, not that I just love his abs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Or or his post um, uh, his his uh, music career. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um. Yeah. Anyway, because we've got younger listeners now who may not know this, go and look up Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Of course. Before he was a movie star, Mark Wahlberg was a pop star. Well, before he was a movie star and a chef. Yeah, he was a pop pop star star. first. Yeah, he was. well, that and, a, that and basically a male and a model. Yeah. I'm trying to think what that song's called. Good Vibrations. That's it. Go and look up Good Vibrations by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And that's like, that's <laughs> like, what he, that's probably the thing that first made him famous. Um, and for years. And I also, was, he's the brother of um, one of the new Donnie. kids on the block. Donnie, Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie. Well, yeah, basically, I went on holiday in about 1991. In fact, it was 1991. It was early autumn and they had MTV in this apartment and Good Vibrations was playing a lot around the same time as You Could Be Mine was playing quite a lot. Set Adrift on Memory Bliss uh, by PM Dawn. And what was the other one? Army of Lovers, which was a fucking like spank worthy video. I like that. But anyway, um, <laughs> that was late 91 and that was the song that broke him. And I think New Kids on the Block was like a year or two before and Donnie Wahlberg was one of them. Donnie Wahlberg has been in a lot of like less successful films, but he is the guy who, uh, well, spoiler alert for The Sixth Sense, he kills Bruce Willis. At the he's, a better, he's a better actor as well. He was in Band of Brothers as well. I never saw Band of Brothers. Have you not? Oh, my God. No, no I've never seen it. Oh, it's oh so good. Um, and I, I never got round to it for whatever reason. I think there was a period of my life where I just wouldn't watch war films and stuff, or certain ones I would, but generally I didn't. Yeah. Donnie Wahlberg, uh, he's unrecognisable because he's not quite as ripped as Mark was at no. his peak, but he was fairly, like, fairly fit and muscular. Um, but at the start of The Sixth Sense, he's like emaciated. I don't know if there's a bit of CG in that or he genuinely lost all that weight. But like Bruce Willis and his wife come home and they go into the bedroom and there's a troubled guy who Bruce Willis had tried to help as a kid because he's like a child psychologist. And that's why he's so pushed to help Cole, the Haley Joel Osmond character, because he felt he failed this guy. And he starts the film being shot. And, of course, we find out at the end of the film he was dead the whole time. The person who shot him is Marky Wark's brother. Again, excellent padding, folks. I just love the fact that you still call him Marky Mark, even though he's... <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant, sorry. It's... I just call it... Yeah, but I do it without thinking. I, I mean, to be honest, I kind of do it as well. To a generation, he was Marky Mark. Yeah. Because Marky Mark's just a fun... It's, 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 it's just a... It's more fun to say, isn't it? It flows yeah, better it's, it's as well. I would go Mark or Wahlberg. That doesn't work. No. Or even Mark Oh, but it takes too long, Marky Mark. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he will always be Marky Mark. Um, it does depend. I think a part of the reason was when Planet of the Apes come, came out, he'd been in things, but he was still kind of Marky Mark in my head. <clears throat> Whereas, like, now when he stars in something, like, he's going to be in Uncharted. If someone said to me, who's in Un- Uncharted, I would say really? Tom Holland's the lead, and actually Mark Wahlberg, who was going to play the lead, is in it as, you know, and all that. I wouldn't say Marky Mark if I was talking about that film, strangely. If you have, if you have any <laughs> memories of naming customs for Marky Mark, write to us at expectustalk.gmail.com. I'm I'm just waiting for the full career of uh, Millie Vanilli to take off. Well, um, Millie Vanilli. They were going to make a film about that. Millie Vanilli. Actually, is it was one of them dead? Yes. Oh. Yes. The the fairer coloured one with the lighter eyes. He died. I can't remember. Oh, no, if he, I don't know if he, if he was Millie or Vanilli. Um, 
it was Fabrizio, uh, Robin Fab, wasn't it? Basically, there's one that's significantly darker than the other one. And it's the lighter one who's got green eyes who died. I think he killed himself. Because yeah. they, they, so, they were so embarrassed what happened. Again, anyone who's a bit younger and doesn't know what happened with this, look at Millie Vanilli, because it was just jaw-dropping when it happened. Do you guys remember it? Charlie probably would, because he's about my age. Do you yeah. remember when it happened? I do, yeah. They were like big news for a year or so. They had a massive first album. Yeah. They, they had and one then, big hit, and then... Girl, yeah. I'm going to miss you. Yeah, kind of like I one think, hit. I think not they one had hit wonders, one, one hit. Of, okay, they okay. had one really big one. And, um, yeah, they, they were like this duo. And then they went to some live show. And the tape they were singing, miming to, skipped. And instead of just going, sorry, guys, we were miming, they reacted like, we've been caught, oh, my God. And then it came out that they hadn't recorded at all. They were just there for their look. And two other guys had recorded it. Um, and so it was a mass. They were stripped of like Grammy awards and everything, and and one of them ended up killing himself about five years afterwards. But things that you makes you wonder, like, well, they they can't be like the only ones, and when pop <laughs> you, goes wrong, do you know what I mean? It's like you know, it they, they can't have been like. No, I mean, something like that is it's widely done in, in the pop music industry, isn't oh, it, as yeah. well? I mean, like, various groups, the whole, you know, the, the world over do it. Well, we know um, Michael Jackson was voiced by that mental health patient from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> he, was a, he was a big, bald, white guy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there, was, there were rumours about Rick Astley to start with. Rick Astley, it was always said that... Um, it got strongly put around almost as though it was fact that he was actually being voiced by Luther Vandross. Well, they don't actually sound similar enough. Mm. Mm. But yeah, it was strongly rumoured that that wasn't him. But I think so, like, the whole idea sounds ridiculous. What, Luther Vandross is going to agree to, like, yeah, sure, I'll fucking. <laughs> I'll record, I'll, like. <laughs> I'll voice Stock Aitken and Waterman. <laughs> <laughs> so, some, some random guy from Warrington. <laughs> Do you know? That video is really funny because there's a bit where, like, there's a dancer in it or something and he sort of runs up a wall and lands and sort of smiles yeah. at the camera. And it's the cheesiest thing in the world. The idea that the, Luther Vandross. The bartender dressed as a sailor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we're really going down memory lane. What's, the, what's it called? Never Gonna Give You Up. Yeah. Rick Astley. Not <laughs> so why do you reading? You have, to, you have to watch Gremlins 2, Gremlins. Muppets Christmas Carol, um, listen to Marky Mark and Millie Vanilli and Rick Astley. And Rick Astley. <laughs> Any advance on that? Because that's all relevant for the fifth entry in the final of the interviews. I think we just had another ten minutes, so I think that's alright. Oh, well done, Fred. I know, I know we're known well. for going off course, but this is perhaps as off course as you can go. The funny thing is, this isn't deliberate. <laughs> it does it's all it. important. You must do it. There ain't much to talk about. That's the thing. I mean, we've got this attack that they sort of survive. And, you know, Aldo's troops sort of slaughter cops forces when they're trying yeah, to escape. Yeah, so, so basically they, they, they win. They, they, they run off. Um, Cornelius sort of like says, no, let them go. Yeah, mercy not, but Aldo yeah. shows no mercy. It's easy, you mean? Oh, so, sorry. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So, so Caesar says show decides to show mercy, but Aldo just goes ahead and, and kills him anyway. Yeah. Um. Because you know. Um, and then, um. Yeah, and then we uh, yeah we find out that um or yeah Virgil has learned what happened um to uh, from mcdonald to cornelius his son mm. 
and uh, obviously Caesar then learns that um, his son was killed by another ape. And this is just the bizarrest choice of a final action sequence I've ever seen. Caesar follows Aldo up a tree. Yeah. <laughs> they look at each other for a bit. Aldo swings something at him. They grab each other's hands and then Aldo falls to his death. <laughs> and the only, the only thing that nearly rescues it is that it, it's only for a couple of seconds, but Caesar's eyes, because they, there's a mixture of vengeance but a mixture of guilt and a mixture of what have i done there's an element yeah. of did, did i kill him there <laughs> the thing this is the thing what i was just saying about older earlier is that he feels like someone out of some mothers do have him <laughs> <laughs> like if you put the some mothers do have him theme tune on that scene with him up the tree yeah oh, i missed him <laughs> He's just hilarious. Frank Spencer to the list. Okay, right. That is uh, our sitcom of the week, which has just been resurrected out of nowhere. Some mothers do have them. Is a 1970s sitcom <laughs> starring Michael Crawford. Check it out, folks. He's the clumsiest man in the world. Heterosexual, but a little bit effeminate. Extremely. But he did clumsy. all his own stunts. And that's the thing. He, he's very accident prone and the actor playing him who was best known for actually doing phantom of the opera and barnum on stage yeah um did all his own stunts and, and condor these... man and condor, condor man actor. as well he's also condor man that was when before we got proper superhero films with the exception of superman so condor man was <laughs> like it's, it, it's the best we can get really um yeah he did all his own stunts i mean there's stunts where he's like on, on on roller skates and nearly getting his nuts knocked off there's one where he's hanging off a car off the edge of a cliff and stuff like that he's really, really... Uh, yeah that, that roller skates one i think that's quite a famous one isn't it yeah because he literally just his about... long suffering uh betty, his wife, friend. Uh, betty who betty. in real life was married to edward woodward really yeah from yeah she was married to edward woodward oh, they, um um, she was married to him. With, she wasn't his first wife, but they were married. Is like comedy connections? Yeah, no, um, Michelle Dotrice. Yeah, she and she was um, actually in one of the uh, uh, one of the, a really really good horror film called The Blood on Satan's Claw. Um, I've got to look her up because I I did see her in something else. An literally. English folk horror. I haven't seen that, but I saw her in something else, and it was years old. And I thought, is that who I think it is? And it turned out to be her. And I can't think what it was now. Just looking for it. Anyway, carry on. It'll come to me. I'll either see it or I won't. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, she was in the Morecambe and Wise show. Uh, which is, have I seen that? The Blood on Satan's Court. Okay. So it's, quite, it's quite funny that she was in that and, and her husband was in the Wicker Man. Yeah. Um, Edward Woodward, what would he be best known for? Would it be, I suppose, how old you are? Callan on TV. Yeah. Uh, the Equalizer on American TV in the 80s. Which was, they, they remade it with the Denzel Washington. Yeah. Which I actually quite like. I, I particularly like the second one. I haven't seen it. The, sec um, the first one actually started boring me towards the end, but the second one I really liked. It was like, you know how, I said this to Chris at the time, you know how when you come out from seeing Paddington, you want to be a bit of a better person for a while because he's just so nice. Well, Denzel Washington's character is like Paddington if Paddington was quite violent. <laughs> In that he's really helpful, but he kills people as well. Um, like, I mean, it'll, kick, it'll kick the shit out of you if need be, you know, it's like that. 
I, I liked it. I liked the second one particularly. But yeah, he's best known for that. And uh, on the big screen, uh, younger uh, listeners would remember him as the neighborhood watch guy in Hot Fuzz. Um, but he was the lead in Wicker Man, not the Nicolas Cage version, because the lead in that was Nicolas Cage, funnily enough. Uh, the 1973 <laughs> version, which has Christopher Lee in it and Britt Eklund, and it's phenomenal. Even though it was hacked to pieces and, you know, badly edited and everything else, it remains a phenomenal film. Yeah. That's like the, seen the it, definitive that, version of that film. That song she sings when she's dancing naked to try yeah. and... Um, you, that song you will never forget. And it isn't just because she's naked. It will just stick in your head. Yeah, It's an incredible film. He plays like a, a very buttoned-up uh, Scottish Christian man. Virgin, basically. But that doesn't quite give the film away, but it's worth seeing. But, um, yeah, Edward Woodward. So, yeah, Caesar kills Aldo, or Aldo falls over. And... Um... I'm still trying to remember what what's that got to do with it. Oh, we we went by a, we went I mean, by a Sun Mother's New Abbey. For, for, forgive and me, because then... I was a bit confused by this because like they did the whole like eight kill no eight, you know that 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 kind of chant when when Aldo gets found out. But didn't all his cronies witness him kill see, um, Cornelius? Yeah, yeah. So 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 they did they did look fairly guilty when. And, and kind of shocked when he did it. So they kind of just turned on the dad. It's like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they were kind of, I don't know, scared of. Fickle. <laughs> yeah. Fickle. <laughs> you know, you know what it's like when when soldiers when soldiers have kind of a yeah, they... feel like they have a loyalty to their. Yeah. That's what that's what most war crimes are about. Not to defend them, but the typical defense is I was just following orders, which is never accepted as a defense. No. But you can also understand how when you're under the when you're under the gun, what do you do? Yeah, and um, so then McDonald asks for them to be treated as equals. Yeah. And they let them all out of the corral. Yeah. And it's supposedly happy days. Not not happy days, as in... Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. The weekend comes, my cycle humps. Ready to race for you. These days are on. No, no, no. Is it Richie Cunningham? No. <laughs> yeah, so not that. Um, and then we cut forward to the future, basically, where the yeah. round with John Houston and that. And he's teaching humans and apes together. Yeah. Um, and it notes that they still wait for a day when the world no longer needs weapons. But actually, this comparatively, this has turned out better than they could have expected. You, you've got them coexisting very happily. And you even see like a human and an ape kid sort of playing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he, he grabs her hair. Yeah. He grabs her pigtails or whatever. Yeah. He fancies her. That's weird. Um, <laughs> given they're both children and different species. Um, and then it closes up on Caesar and a single tear falling from one eye now. I, I guess, I the think. Statue. What, 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 yeah, not Caesar the ape season the statue he wasn't 700 years old um i get the point that because we've just referred to no longer needing weapons 
we've got this tier as in, oh, what a sad world it still is. But bear in mind, we all saw Planet of the Apes. This is a result, what they've ended up with. Yeah. It's like, well, what, what, why are you crying? This is this has turned out better than you can ever expect it. But this, that's the thing. This series always feels like almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. That whenever you think that it's potentially going to be a better future than, as as far as I know, Paul Dane, who rewrote the script, had put that tear in as an indication that it wasn't going to turn out as. Everyone hope this is a this is a false dawn. They're they're coexisting yeah, for now because because I think the actual screenwriters hated it. But there are still weapons. They hate, there. hated so they did it. They're, right. So I guess that logic would be there are still weapons there. They may not be using them at the moment, but this yeah. is still the shadow that is hanging over them. Yeah, and there's still whatever is in the Forbidden City as well. And okay. All right. Final thoughts from me. Very little to add. Very thin. Um, as hence, we've talked about British sitcoms, fake rock bands. Uh, <laughs> uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Uh, is, uh, we can mention his modelling work for Calvin Klein. Um, anything uh, to talk about to talk about this film. It's quite nicely designed for its budget. Roddy McDowell is still superb. Um, there's some ideas here but you almost have to think about them. If you take it on face value, it's really thin. If you sit and think about it, there's the whole idea about timelines. And is Caesar trying to avoid a timeline that no longer exists? Is what he's got a, tra a travesty, or is he actually already working towards a better society than the one we saw in Planet of the Apes? There are things to think about, but that the it is cheap. The action is extremely poor. Uh, the whole stuff with the humans doesn't interest me other than the idea that they're still a looming threat of some kind. Um, it's okay. It's better than I thought it was. I think if I'm pushed to comment, I'd rather watch it than Beneath. I think Beneath probably is a better film, by the way, but I think I'd rather watch it than Beneath. And But yeah, there are three films out of the five so far that are definitively better than this. And it, it is starting to run on fumes at this stage. Uh, final thoughts for me. Um, I quite fondly remember the Equalizer, though I never watched it. Um, I has, it has a really badass eighties uh, theme title tune. Sequence. Yeah, yeah, title sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, car and some dry ice. Was it Stuart <laughs> Copeland that did that? The music. Uh, I'm gonna have a look. I don't know. Because so, it awesome kind of synth kind of. Yeah. It's almost like the final countdown. It, it, kind of... build, it builds up. Yeah, there's kind of eighties classic. There's a lot of synth work going on. So it's build into very it. much of the time, but it's iconic. I mean, it, it's definitely worth like looking up in YouTube if you don't know it, or if you want a bit of a you know, you know, trip down memory lane. Oh, I'll, I'll see if Flashback. I can find it. I'll post it on social media tonight. The opening theme was done by Stuart <laughs> Copeland, who's best known as the drummer for the Police. Mm. Um, and not and, the police marching band. We mean like the police that had Sting in it. Like Sting. <laughs> not, <laughs> not like not like you know Oxford Circumstabulary or something. So we've got Sting, Marky Mark, the police, um, <laughs> Muppets Christmas Carol. And sadly, I'd never really watched it as a kid because it was always on too late. It was always like I'm just it, old enough that I remember it. Past bedtime. It. it was always yeah. It was always like bedtime. No, I don't want. I don't want to watch Woodward. <laughs> it's got a funny name. <laughs> I only watched Equalizer, it looks cool. And, uh, no, I barely ever watched it, but it, it looked cool though. Um, but yeah, um, Battle of the Apes. It was alright, it was watchable. 
uh, reminded me of the uh, of a uh, of a uh, dawn and raw, uh, which we'll cover later on. It's, it's about it, really. But like, I kind of want to watch the Equalizer now. Well, you can watch the opening credits on our YouTube page at the yeah. end of this show. So. Yeah, we'll go and watch an episode of the And Gremlins too. I want to watch that as well. I want to watch Muppets Christmas Carol. Gremlins is awesome, so you should always watch it anyway. It's one of those really rare sequels which has the balls to be completely fucking different from its original. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, it takes the piss out of its original. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite literally, even though it's like a new batch, it is literally right, okay, we are starting afresh and creating a whole new, you know, a whole new identity. Imagine if I had a film series which just like, just did completely different like type of genre each each entry. It was like a completely different film each time. Yeah. That would be quite interesting. It'd be kind of like an anthology series. Yeah. I know. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Gremlins Two is great. Yes. So don't watch um, Planet of the Apes. Watch Gremlins hey, Two. You can watch Planet of the Apes if you want. But yeah, if if you want, if you feel like it. Yeah. Just go watch the other ones first, and then it's, you get the, the full experience. It's, it's kind of dull. It's not great. A bit boring. It's still but... got in some interesting parts. There's a bit kind of, and I kind of feel like some parts because it does have like really overarching themes. Um, yeah. But I, I would, I kind of, kind of agree what you, said, you know earlier in the show about it. Kind of, that's not they're not really fully explored. Like it's, obviously, it's kind of focused on like America and everything, but not really like the rest of the world and the impact that it has. Um, but I, yeah. I think that's something the kind of the global aspect of it is something that is definitely explored in in the later films as well. Yeah, they should do one set in England. With Michael Crawford. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd be fantastic. Well, he, he, I think he'd fall out of that tree with more style. We've seen <laughs> his stunt work. He'd write a song about it. He'd sing a song about it. Imagine, imagine a load of apes climbing um, uh, Nelson's Con. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking, speak, speaking. No, they could do it now whilst there's nobody there. Imagine, imagine gorillas in Speaker's Corner. <laughs> That'd be great. I think you need to pitch this film. Is what you need to do. Um, to be fair, I'm not contributing much the at the moment because I've just, I've just had it on mute so I could like listen to the equaliser theme. I'll be right back. It can be called Britain of the Apes. There you are. Yeah. Britain of the Apes, so this is it. Yeah, I need to make this film. So, yeah, Hollywood, if you're listening, you've got an idea. It's uh, basically like the fourth film, but instead of mixing margaritas, they just make a pot of tea. Yeah. <laughs> You can you can tell it was the end of this this series by this anyway. The diminishing returns, so it only had so much to play with budget wise. And I think the TV series actually came about a year or so later. I think maybe a couple of years because of because the guy Arthur P. Jacobs, the the main producer, died not long after Battle. I think it was like six months or something, and they sold he's hid that company basically sold all of their rights and everything to 20th Century Fox so they own the lot and then they I think they put the first three or something on TV and they were really really successful so they thought okay maybe we can get something out of this so then they commissioned the TV series yeah um, that is excellent because that's a fun fact and yeah, I, don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, Charlie, but we, we have a repeating section of our shows called Fun Facts. Yeah, because I'm always scared that I eat into the fun facts myself. 
No, because um, you don't read it off IMDb trivia, so you you rarely intersect with Becker's research. <laughs> so yeah, some some generic banter about we know nothing about this film. What about you, Chris? Uh, well, given my final thoughts, I was mostly talking about the Equalizer. Um, I think that's, that's yeah, really, we're going to look up some fun facts we, about eighties crime stop dramas, there, guys, because I can confirm we've got this up to an acceptable running time now. So anyway, Becca, why is there no <laughs> professionals movie? Yeah, there was. Uh, that. Oh, no, there was. A, there was a TV no, no, series. There, was, there wasn't a film. No, I'm thinking of the Sweeney. Oh, okay, yeah. They did the Sweeney they, with they Red did, They did remake the the TV. Uh, they did remake the Professionals as a TV show, but it didn't. Really wasn't that with? It. Wasn't that with Edward Woodward? Uh, I don't, I'd have I don't to remember that. In, in that the Gordon, in, in the Gordon Jackson one. Oh yeah, I don't know. That sounds familiar. Maybe I don't I think know. It's on Sky. Anyway, that had a really good theme tune as well. And um, it was really cool. And they had a cool car. So, yeah, someone should bring that back. But, yeah, I, I don't know enough about this film either. So. Wasn't there, there wasn't a remake of Professionals, was there? No. Did I, did I dream it? A TV one, yeah. With it was a TV, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. it. And it wasn't as good. Well, it couldn't have been. There was no bubble perms. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was no Ford Capri. No, yeah. I was going to say, there's no Ford Capri for him to slide over. There was no womanising on strangely brown bedding. That was more minder, to be fair. Every time we saw Terry McCann's, like, flat and bedroom, he always had this fucking brown bedding, and I'm thinking, I suppose it's handy if he gets pissed and shits the bed while there's a woman To be there. honest, everything was brown in the 70s, really. Brown uh, and orange. Like, there, were, yeah. there, there was one episode where Martin Shaw, like, rants the girl like, with spaghetti bolognese. Like... I thought that happened in one episode, like in the middle, they were just like romancing this this like this woman <laughs> with spaghetti bolognese. Yeah, but that would have been exotic at the time. Yeah. Whereas now, obviously, we've progressed, and I can you know do some super noodles or something. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> check out the professionals as well. The team from CI Five with Lewis Collins, who did uh, audition for Bond. Yeah. Mm. What, what was that? Fan. What was that uh, film that you made about the SAS? Who does, who does, who does wins? That, yeah, was about great storming, that was about the storming of the Iranian embassy. Yes. Well, based on it, it wasn't it wasn't like the. No, but it, it, was, it was mainly about Lewis Collins running down a corridor in a tight shirt. Right. That must be quite <laughs> short. That must have been quite a short. That, script. And that film also had Edward Woodward. It did. It yeah. did also still have Edward Woodward. <laughs> no, obviously no. It, all roads lead to Edward Woodward. There you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, so it, he's it, key it, in this whole setup. It. It also had um, uh, what's his what's his name from uh, Raiders, um, the bad guy. What Belloc? Yeah, Belloc. What's Paul his name? Freeman. Paul Freeman. Yeah, Paul that's Freeman, him. Isn't it? Yeah, Freeman. yeah, that's it. Also uh, had him in it as well. Gosh, we, there are points yeah, during this show. We sound like we know shit. <laughs> and Ozark, the wine guy. Oh, that guy. Well, I I do think most uh, sort of spy and espionage films do lack wine appreciation sections. Like, um, maybe, maybe Edward Woodward is, is the we, English We need to storm uh, this Kevin embassy, Bacon. but first like try this fine Cabernet from... Or Victor Toljanski in the Bond films where he's like, huh? Yeah. I can get disbelief as, as what half-empty wine bottle. You'd think by now he must realise it's not the drink. Cause no. Because <laughs> drinks from three different vendors. It's the same bottle. <laughs> he just takes the same bottle. It's the same bottle. Takes another up. sip. 
knew I shouldn't have brought brought absinthe. That's what I think. Becca, fact us. Yes. Fact off. All right. um... Fact off off yourself. (laughs) Everyone's getting major factage with this episode. I cannot tell you. No, don't fact off. Please stay with me. Thank you. Oh, that sounded quite sad. She felt she seemed really vulnerable then. So we're not leaving you, Becca. <laughs> and then he said facts off, but that's another story. Yes. <laughs> yeah, fun fact number one. Um, mostly ripped from IMDb, but mostly not. Um, this, <laughs> one... <laughs> this one is, however. Um, so this film is supposedly the film that inspired Tony Mendes, Tony Mendes to create the Operation Argo during the Iran hostage crisis. Um, 79 to 81, in which he travelled to Iran disguised as a film producer and had the hostages disguised as the film crew in order to escape the country. Um, and there's a, there's a um, in the 2012 film Argo, there's a, there's a scene from this film in that film. So it's a bit confusing. Um, the uh, clip from the scene sees that MacDonald and Virgil arrive in the Forbidden City is shown in Argo. Yeah, I think we mentioned this in, in discussion. Paul, I can have pronounced his name. Was it Paul Dane, but it's Paul Dean. So apologies, I've been pronouncing his name ever since wrong, ever since Goldfinger. It was you, got it, you got it right every time until you apologised for getting it wrong when you then <laughs> got it wrong in order to correct it. It's like so I read it as Dean and it's like, no, uh, it's, it's Dean. And it's like, no, it's Dean. It's just like, yeah. bloody hell. Anyway, but yes, anyway, he was supposed to have written the fifth instalment in the series, but was but couldn't do so due to health reasons. Um Incepts, Mr. and Mrs. Corrington. Um, they were hired after writing The Omega Man. Um, but he, uh, yeah, it was actually Joyce Corrington later admitted that she'd never seen any other Apes movies before before writing this one. Um, when the original ending apparently um, had ape and human children playing together, um, and they weren't too keen on the actual, you know, how the film actually ended. Um, and I think there was there was also an, another edit, um, which obviously was cut. Um, Involving some sort of hybrid that uh, would have kind of implied some sort of bestiality going on, so that that was a bit dodgy. So that one ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, yeah, again, as we mentioned in the discussion, Roddy Mattel, Seven Darden, and Lightly Trendy um, are the only actors to reprise their roles from Conquest of Planet of the Apes. And obviously, this film features a cameo role from uh, John Landis, um, and then the year this was released, 1973, also marks his directorial debut. Do you think? Uh, uh. Okay. So yes, one of those facts was from imdb.com, um, and the other four weren't. So. Hmm. So I think that I think that's uh, that's a direct dig at my comment that she gets all the facts from there. <laughs> so well done for you defending yourself, yes, yes, and yes. I have to say, that's fun, folks. Uh-huh. They generally a lot of them do come from IMDb, but where I can, I do source some of like President Bond, for example. That's where I get them. It's not a dig. <laughs> That's where I so, but generally, I'm like, yeah, IMDb, what have they got on there? Let's have a look. Oh, well, that looks interesting. The most, you know, I, I don't just pick random ones. I go by the most interesting ones. So. <laughs> I know, that's why they're fun. <laughs> You've got this format down pat. That's why we keep coming back to you. As for social media, you can find me at the Past Kid 1976 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Simitronics. You can also find all the uh, episodes at Simitronics.co.uk because, um, you know, sometimes they go missing eventually on... Uh, on iTunes and uh, and Spotify and all the and all the available good old podcast listening platforms. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be a way to trim that down. 
Uh, there's probably a slicker way of doing it, but... For all your home podcast requirements. <laughs> say, hey, Alexa, listen to Do You Expect Us to Talk? I don't actually have an Alexa, so I don't quite know what will happen <laughs> if you do that. So. I do. Uh, I'll, give it, I'll give that a try. Yeah, yeah, it works. I don't think it will work, but give it a go. Let us know what happens. Because we're not on... Yeah, I mean, I would try that, but like, I've got someone in the house with me at the moment, and to be honest, that just looks phenomenally egotistical. <laughs> if, like, I'm, who's, who's if I was that? to call the living room and just ask for my own podcast, <laughs> is she called Alexa? She's not, thankfully. I was watching TV one day, and the TV did not, I didn't say a word, I wasn't on the phone, there was no other media, the TV said something, and it definitely wasn't Alexa. But Alexa heard Alexa play Big Fart. So I was watching TV and all of a sudden Alexa played a really squeaky sort of wet fart and then asked me if I wanted another one. <laughs> and, then I re- and then when I looked at my skills, that's an enabled skill. And I thought, fuck me, was I that drunk that I enabled a fucking fart skill? That's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> obviously misheard something. Oh my God. Should we try this out live? I don't have Alexa in this room. I, I do. I do have right one, so right, have one okay. right next to me. All right, here we go. Okay, where you go then? Alexa, play Do You Expect Us to Talk podcast. Please do you want to talk about it? Oh, uh, rubbish. <laughs> no, be quiet. No, stop, Alexa. Right. I was only disappointed there because um, <laughs> as much as I enjoy our podcast and would like to promote it to the world, I honestly thought Charlie was going to ask for a fart sound. I was, <laughs> I, was I, was, I was disappointed when he asked for the podcast. It, it could be worse. It could, you know, Charlie could have asked, like, do you expect us to talk? And it could have, like, just released a fart sound. <laughs> that would be a bit of an upgrade, really, wouldn't it? <laughs> That, that's just the distillation, you know. Well, we haven't got time to pay you an episode, but if you want an idea, let's yeah. play the theme from the Equalizer. Oh, I can fucking do that. Theme from the Equalizer by the Countdown on Amazon Music. What the fuck is that? I don't know. That's really tinny. That's that made? That's made by like TV themes or us. Yes. Copyright infringement. Alexa, stop. I've got it. <laughs> let's kick. Let's kick on a bit, though. We'll get to like, we'll get, we'll get to the, we'll get to the gig because this goes on for ages, and you actually get shots of like women running away from assailants in dark alleys. Yeah, it was also, always some someone chasing someone down the subway, yeah. wasn't it? But it get, then it builds to this eventually. I'll stop it there, both for YouTube and for the fact that you can hear that at the Oxford Constabulary Police Band. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really make TV themes like that anymore, I don't think. No, they don't. No, because it's not the 80s. No, I know, but it's just well, like, no, but... you know, trying to create really memorable TV themes. I don't well, know. You've got great yeah, whenever you say great TV themes, my mind always runs <laughs> cheers and never to the equalizer. It should have been in the Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of oh, it's just got it's yeah. one of those sort of themes that you know, you know, you know what it is. So, but yes, yeah, so you can find us on 
Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean. Not Alexa, Podbay. no, apparently. Not Alexa, not Alexa no. Apparently. No, not Alexa. <laughs> but you can hear really varied fart sounds on there, I promise. We're not on Amazon or Google Podcasts just yet. Mm. Unfortunately, so, you can hear you. Have we tried Siri? No. Oh, he's got... He's got Siri. Let's try Siri. Oh, let's not bother. We've padded the shit out of this show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try it next time. Um, you can find me at Films on Wax on Twitter. Okay. Um, next week's a big one for us. Not in that sense. Uh, no, next one's a big one for us because we hit our 200th episode and uh, we've got a real all-timer lined up for that one, which means Becca. Do you expect us to talk or return with our review of Planet of the Apes? The 2001 Tim Burton remake.